0: point in your life where you were in a situation where the outcome of what was going to happen was really in someone else's hands. It wasn't in your hands. The decision was not yours. It was completely someone else's decision. You were feeling vulnerable, but someone had the power to make an important decision for you or about you, and you were totally at their mercy. Here's a true story that happened to me. When I was in high school, freshman year in high school, I went to summer camp with the youth group at my church. And I went with my cousin, Chris. Now, Chris was a very smart kid. He was—he did really well in tests. He was really good in school. The interesting thing about Chris was he was a pyromaniac, though. Uh, the kid just loved to burn things up, and he loved to see things explode. I don't know. He was just wired that way. So he had this great idea that we ought to take Roman candles and bottle rockets to church camp. I was 14, he was 15. It sounded like a smart idea to me. I don't know. Now it looks a little different, but I thought, sure, why not? What can that hurt? So we're at church camp, and I think it's about Wednesday. Chris is like itching, and he's like, hey, man, let's go back to a room, and let's shoot off some bottle rockets. And again, I'm thinking... What can that hurt? I mean, it's just bottle rockets, right? So we go back to the room. I think we were skipping something, and it had just gotten dark. And uh, he gets these bottle rockets out. And he was the instigator. I was just the guy kind of always going along with it that was just too dumb to say no. And uh, so we're there, and he's lighting them, and they're just going, And it's like, this is beautiful. Hey, what happens if we put like eight of them together? You know, So we twist the fuses together. So we could just... So he gets out a Roman candle and we're shooting that and it's just going like, all these different colors and you're like, this is, fireworks are great. I mean, they are just so amazing. So, we did that for probably 15 minutes. We're like, hey, we better go because I think our group is meeting and we got to get back over there. And um, we, we put it all away and we open the door and start walking out in the hall. And it's like, dun, 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 dun. There's a guy standing there in a security uniform. Looked like a tight end for the Indianapolis Colts, you know, just bulging muscles. And he's just staring at us. And I could hear him breathing. You know what I mean? He's standing there and he's going, <sighs> And I walked out, and like, and Chris didn't see me, or didn't see him, and he walks out, and we're standing there looking at him, we're like, oh, we are so busted. And and at that moment, it was like, all of the rules that they had gone over that I really didn't listen to, and really didn't ever think applied to me, now all all of a sudden started coming to light, and I realized that one about, like, if you break any of the rules, then you'll get sent home immediately, my dad was an elder at the church. Chris's dad was an elder at the church. All this is flashing before my eyes, and I'm like, oh, no, we're going to have to explain all this. And I'm realizing that, that at that moment that we were totally at this man's mercy, okay? we. Um, so I, I didn't know what was going to happen, if we were going to be sent home, if they were going to call my mom. I, I didn't know w- w- what all was going to happen. So anyway... Long story short, um, he goes and gets our youth minister and sits us down, and we get scolded, and we get told, you know, what were you thinking? And we're like, we don't know. We're 14- and 15-year-old boys. We don't, we don't really think a whole lot. So uh, that's how we got ourselves in this mess. But I want you to think of that time in your life or another uh, that, that you felt like you were at someone else's mercy. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird feeling that you just get in the pit of your stomach when you feel like you're vulnerable. Like maybe you've done something wrong, or maybe didn't, things didn't go your way, or whatever it is, you're standing there now, and you're totally at another person's mercy. You're not sure if you're going to get out of this. You're not sure if you're going to get fired. You're not sure if it's going to be reported. You're not sure if you're going to get served divorce papers. You're not going to sure if someone's going to write an article in the paper. Someone's going to put something on social media about it. You're like there, and you're totally unsure what's going to happen. You're totally at their mercy. This morning, we're going to look at a story of a lady in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, that was totally at someone else's mercy, but the beautiful thing is she met Jesus, who did a beautiful thing, an ex- and, and, and a, an extremely story that showed her grace in an extreme way. So I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. If you brought a Bible, if you have it on your phone or your tablet, if not, we'll put them up on the screen, and we're going to look at this story in the Gospel of John. John is the fourth Gospel. John was one who spent time with Jesus, and this is his account. And we'll start in verse 1, and we'll be going through verses, uh, verse 11. John 8, verse 1. Here's what we read. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back at the temple... Again, a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Now, this was a Jewish custom for people to go to the temple and to listen to a teacher teach. Now, when Jesus was there, though, he was like a first-century rock star at this time. I mean, whenever people were, like, always talking about Jesus, Jesus, you got to hear this man, Jesus. And everywhere he went, I mean, it was standing room only, people were outside, they were just fascinated by the things that Jesus was saying. So this is what happens in this, in this case. Verse 3, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders were kind of the arch nemesis uh, of Jesus. They, they were the ones. Everyone loved Jesus except all the religious people. The religious people didn't because the things he said and taught were different than what they had said. And many times they contradicted the things that they were teaching and, and this, this, all these rules and stuff that they upheld. And so there was always this tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. So the Pharisees bring this woman in front of Jesus that was caught in the act of adultery. And we don't know if she was married or not, or if the man was married. We don't really know a lot of the details about it, but verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, which is a clear violation of God's law in the Old Testament and, and God's best for, for her. So she, did, she doesn't really deny it, so we're assuming that maybe she is guilty. Verse 8, the law of Moses, they said, says to stone her. What do you say? Now, they were partially right here. Okay? In the Old Testament, it did instruct, that in the, in the Old Testament law, that a man and a woman were to be stoned if they were caught in the act of adultery. We find that in Leviticus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 22. But these religious leaders, these Pharisees, by not bringing the man and only the woman, they were really disregarding part of their own law. Now, they weren't really concerned about that because the the, the whole story doesn't really center about the woman. It's really about they're trying to get Jesus, not the woman. We see in verse 6. They were trying to trap him, trap Jesus, into saying something that they could use against him. So here's what was going on. They, they, they're trying to position Jesus in a corner, and if Jesus says that the woman shouldn't be stoned, if, if she shouldn't be stoned, they were going to say, oh, but in the Old Testament law, it says that you were supposed to stone her, so now, you say you're the son of God, but you're not even obeying the Old Testament. Or, if he said that they could execute her, that was, the Romans did not allow the Jews at this point to carry out this, and to um, do this form of punishment, they'd have to go through a Roman court system, so if, if Jesus said that they could execute her, then they would say, well Jesus, now you're going against the Roman law, because the Romans won't let us do that, so how are we supposed to do this, Jesus, how are we supposed to either let her go, and then we don't obey the law, or we stone her or against the Roman law, and they're thinking, we got him here, we got him, we, we know, we have pinned him in the corner, and he is not going to get out of this one. And then the second part of verse 6, Jesus does something interesting. It says, But he stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, this was the very first sign to the Pharisees that they were in trouble. Okay? That their plan wasn't going to happen. Because they think, We have got him. He's squirming. He's on the hot seat. You know, what's he going to do now? And Jesus just calmly just reaches down. He's like writing in the dust. Just, he's not worried. He's calm. He's calm. No big deal. They're not rattling him. They're not... Nothing that they're doing is throwing him off. Verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right. Here's the answer. Here's what I'm going to give you. Here's what you should do. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Now notice the brilliance in what Jesus did here. He, He upheld the Old Testament law by allowing them to stone her if they chose. And he emphasized the beauty and the compassion of his heavenly father by turning it around on them and basically saying, okay, if that's what you want to do, whoever hasn't sinned, you be the first one to throw the stone at her. I mean, this wasn't an option that the Pharisees had bargained on. I mean, they're like, darn it, man, we thought we had him. I mean, we thought this we, we, we had him, and we put this plan together, and then all of a sudden he leaves them speechless. In fact, verse 8, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Now again, we don't know what Jesus wrote in the dust, but whatever it was had a very powerful impact on the people who were there, the, the people who were watching it. So I, I don't know what it, what it was, but I, I would like to think this, okay, now this is not in the Bible, this is just my wishful thinking. I would like to think that maybe it was the name and the sins of the accusers that had brought Jesus to them. I mean, that would have been beautiful if that's what happened. I mean, if if they were all standing around with their stones in their hand, ready to stone this woman, and and Jesus writes, Ephraim, wife doesn't know about your girlfriend. (laughs) And he writes, Josiah took an extra hundred shekels out of the temple offering. Dude. Asher goes drag racing with dad's camel on Friday nights for pink slips. You know, like, whatever he wrote on the ground, all of a sudden, like, it's just amazing, because look what happens in verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, quickly and quietly, beginning with the oldest, and until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. So they're they're gone. I mean, these guys, whenever they see this, whenever they hear this, whenever Jesus takes it and turns it around on them, they vanish. I mean, it's like a redneck leaving a Justin Bieber concert, right? I mean, it's like they're gone. They are nowhere to be found. And imagine, I like to imagine that you could hear the rocks falling and hitting the ground. I mean, of all the ones who came, they bring in the rocks. And all of a sudden, one by one, you just hear this thud, thud, thud thud and they just turn around and you just walk away just walk away they didn't really have anything to say i mean it was they, they came here they brought this woman they were trying to trap jesus and now somehow he turned this whole thing on them and they just stand there with their jaws open and they don't know what to say verse 10 then jesus stood up again and said to the woman where are your accusers didn't even one of them condemn you no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, I think the beautiful thing about what Jesus did here is he didn't ignore what the woman had done, but he dealt with it and he addressed it in, in a very compassionate and grace-filled way that showed her mercy. And the bottom line from this story that I want you and I to see, if you don't get anything else out of it today, is remember this one thing. Jesus made a difference He didn't make a point. It's much easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. The church and Christians many times are very guilty of making points, and in doing so, we miss the larger picture of actually making a difference in people's life because we're wanting to make a point, now there are four observations that I want you to see and they are on your purple sheet and we're going to go through these. Things that, that you and I can learn as, from this story as it relates to making a point and making a difference. The first is this. Showing the grace of Jesus requires theology and love but love always trumps theology. The world sometimes knows the church and knows Christianity from what it's against. And what it believes, what it's against, and what it believes. And some of us grew up in churches where it was all about what you believed. Grew up in a church; it was all about what you believed. It was all about baptism. It was all about the second coming. It was all about Calvinism. It was all about Arminianism. And it was all about believe it the right way. We're the right ones. We do it the right way. The Baptist church down the road doesn't do it the right way. These people over here don't do it the right way. We do it the right way. You got to do it the right way. Everyone, it's all about what you believe. And then some of us went to churches growing up, and all of it, was about, it was about what you were against. I mean, you were against R-rated movies, you were against rock music, you were against Disney, you were against alcohol, you were against sex, you were against dancing, but there was very little demonstration of God's love. Right. in either one of those environments it's about what you're against or it's uh, about um, what you believe but it's very low on the demonstration of God's love Jesus had great theology believed all the right things in fact he agreed with the religious leaders on almost all the things that they believed but his love always trumped his theology it's a very interesting thing it always did he um He very easily could have made a point in John 8 to the woman. I mean, he could have said to her, I mean, what are you doing here? You messed up. Why did you commit adultery? You know you shouldn't do that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, made her feel really guilty. But there was something more important. There was something better. There was something more preferred for Jesus than making a point. And it was demonstrating God's grace and mercy that could make a difference. Second observation, showing the grace of Jesus may put you in conflict with religion. It did with Jesus. Whenever he would go and make a difference and show grace and mercy, many times it was the religious people that, that, that came in conflict with him. And there are plenty, plenty of people even in our own culture today that will picket, protest, condemn, accuse, and judge Because, in many ways, that is religion. That's what religion does. It's about making a point. But Jesus bucked the religious leaders because he was more interested in showing love and grace to someone to make a difference than to make a point. Jesus had the same theological doctrine as many of the Pharisees, but he radically differed from them in his execution. Third observation Showing the grace of Jesus means loving those who you don't necessarily agree with. And uh, this is where I think a lot of us Christians get derailed, is because it's really hard for us sometimes to love people that we don't agree with. And, and we wrestle with that. We don't know what to do with that. I had a conversation with my wife, this was uh, a, about a year ago, and uh, she owns a little part-time cleaning business. And um, she had some people that had contacted her about wanting to clean her house, and um, it was two women, and they were in a lesbian relationship, and she came home, and she asked me, she's like, what do I do with this? And, And I said, well, let's talk about this. What would Jesus do with this? She was like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm like, how would Jesus feel about this? And we talked about it, and I said, you know, I don't think because somebody doesn't, you don't agree with everything about their lifestyle, doesn't mean that you don't show them love, and you don't treat them with respect, and you don't treat them as another human being, and you don't go out of your way to love them. I think you should do that. But for so many times for the, the church, that's very hard for many Christians to do. In the two years that I worked in the Genesis homeless shelter, I think one of the things that God taught me was that it's okay to love people that you don't agree with. People that you see making mistakes. People that you realize, I wouldn't do it that way. I don't think they should do this. I don't think they should do that. But it was okay to love them. And God showed me that. Jesus was always loving the people he didn't agree with. He loved prostitutes, criminals, Romans, tax collectors, all kinds of people that he didn't necessarily agree with, but he, 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 in this beautiful way, was able to show them love. And for many Christians, we want nothing to do with that. that. That's where it becomes difficult for us, because we see people that are in the wrong political party. We see people who aren't pro-life. We see people who are in the gay or lesbian community We see people whose marriages have failed. And it's very easy to want to make a point or to stick your finger or to say you shouldn't do that or you can't be like that. And the list goes on and on and on. But showing the grace of Jesus means loving those who we don't necessarily agree with. I have a friend, uh, Dick Alexander, who is a pastor in Cincinnati, and I found this post on his Facebook wall about three weeks ago, and it made me think of exactly what we're talking about. This is what he wrote. This is to all of his friends on Facebook. To my Christian Facebook friends, many Christians continue to make caustic posts regarding President Obama. a practice inconsistent with our scriptures. We are obligated to always speak of him with respect and always to pray for him. To do otherwise dishonors God... It polarizes our country, and it reduces Christians to one more special interest group. Our God is not Republican, white, American, or capitalist. He transcends our small categories and concerns. The thing that I see in the story with Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery is it would have been really easy for Jesus to point his finger and tell the woman all the things that she had done wrong. How he disagreed with her, all the mistakes that she made, but instead... He offered her grace and mercy and showed her love in a way that I cannot help but think made a deep difference and impact in her life. Fourth observation from this passage, showing the grace of Jesus means that you have to be willing to embrace the craziness. Now, one of the things that I love to do, this feeling, is I love walking into a hotel room for the first time when... You walk in and it smells clean, you know, you look at the bed and it's made and it's real tight and uh, if it's a real nice hotel, maybe they even have a little folded card on the pillow and maybe a little mint there and you just walk around and everything is exactly where it should be and it's just kind of a wonderful feeling, isn't it? And if you travel for business and, you know, you've had a long day, you walk in, it's just nice to go in and it's just, it's just like that. Well, many times we expect people's lives to be like that, though. And and the reality is, when when you help a person or when you show love to a person, you find out very quickly that none of our lives look like a clean hotel room, okay? In fact... Most of our lives look like the basement where four teenagers have been living for the last month, and it's messy and kind of stinky, and there's like some leftover pizza over there, and you don't even want to pick that up because you're not really sure what it is, and you're just kind of a little bit grossed out about the whole thing. In reality, beyond the, this, this flesh or this mirage that we have, when you get into people's lives, you realize, really, that's what most of our lives look like. And showing the grace of Jesus means many times you have to step into the mess. You have to step into the craziness. And some of you in this room I have served alongside of, I've stood there and I've prayed with and I've helped people and we've done things together and you realize the mess that it, it means when you love people. When you try to make a difference in people's lives. It's not clean and easy and, and just simple. It's sometimes radically messy. But showing the grace of Jesus means, you know what? You just step into that craziness. You just step into that mess, you just realize that it, if it was all about clean and concise and beautiful and orderly, Jesus would have never gone to the cross for any of us. Because the cross was not like a clean hotel room at the Ritz-Carlton. The cross, the cross was like this dirty, gross place where he went and endured all all of our sin, and all of our shame, and he was willing to embrace the craziness and to step in to what was uncomfortable. Now, I'm going to have April Harper come up here for just a second. Some of you know April. Um, she is our children's director here at Exodus, and the reason I'm going to have um, April come up here, and we're going to have a few questions, is because God has laid some things on April's heart that really go exactly with what we're talking about today, and about a month ago, you and I were sitting talking about it, and um, I was like, April, that is amazing. I'm like, well, you've got to tell people about this. You, you can't just like, and I know you have been, but I, 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 I wanted you to come up here and to be able to... Uh, share some things. So, um, I want to first ask you, April, why don't you just share with everyone kind of this ministry opportunity that God has laid on your heart, okay? Yeah. Can you share that with us? Yeah. Well, I apologize already because... Is a song? Yeah, okay. you're on.
1: I'm terrible at public speaking, and the thought of it is really scary, so...
0: You're going to do fine. Relax, take a deep breath. So, tell us about this... Opportunity, yeah. This thing that God has laid on your mm-hmm. heart.
1: So um, in high school, I had a best friend named Rochelle. And if you were at Feast and Give last year, I talked about this a little bit. Her ministry is called Scarlet Hope, and it's in Louisville, Kentucky. She started it a few years ago. And essentially, she uh, ministers to women in the sex industry in Louisville. And so a v- variety of different forms. But um, I've had several opportunities to just volunteer in her ministry. And in doing so, I felt like this is something that I am very like formatted to do. It's, some, it's, just, it's totally on my heart all the time. And I really, really enjoy building friends, building relationships with these women. And recently though, in the past couple of months, three months or whatever it's been, God has really laid it on my heart of, sorry, of why are you not doing this in Bloomington? And so I've kind of, um, it's been honestly very incredible because it's not been me at all, it's been all these things coming together around me of other women who want to do the same thing. And so, um, we've started kind of praying about this and working together to see what can happen. But ultimately, it's to show the love of Christ to the women in the sex industry here in Bloomington, whatever that means.
0: So explain to us, like, okay, in Louisville, you've gone down there mm-hmm. and volunteered. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? I mean, what do what do they do, the, your friend in high school? What's the ministry look like? Because when you say that, it's kind of hard for us to go, like... It sounds like a great idea, but what's the action plan? What do you do?
1: So um, what we would do there is prepare meals, and there would be lots of people who would do this. All kinds of churches would kind of grow together to prepare all these meals, and we would, on Thursday nights, bring them into about, now it's 20 different strip clubs. And so it's a group of maybe about 50 women. Who are like you or I, all different ages, who just get together um, at like 7 p.m. and pray for a couple of hours and praise God. And then around 9 o'clock, everyone kind of divides up and goes into your club. And when you go in there, then you serve them this meal. and
0: Serve who meal?
1: Serve all the dancers, serve the DJs, serve the... Owner, serve the bartender, and... So you're just giving food away. <laughs> you're giving food away, yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, the, I mean, it sounds so crazy that that is even possible to do, but um, whenever there was a speaker who talked at um, this big fundraiser thing that they had down there, who was this uh, big pastor at a church in Louisville who said, like, you know, we think about this God... Ugh. It's probably the worst ever. We no. think
0: <laughs> you're doing fine.
1: We think about this God we have, who can move mountains and who can do all these miracles, and of course He can make you be friends with an owner of strip
0: club. Like, of course He can make that happen.
1: <sighs> okay.
0: So you go in there and you you give food away, and like, what? Tell us in Louisville, what's the response? Like
1: amazing The kid, they love you they love you and they want to be your friend and um so we go we go in and set up and i just say hi to everybody and they know you by name
0: and, and they call you what you told me that the church ladies they call the <laughs> church ladies so they say here <laughs> come the church ladies yeah
1: the church ladies are here <laughs> and they're so happy and it, they're so hungry and uh. um And so ultimately, after, like, setting up and just bringing plates around to people, then they will, then you just have some time kind of just to talk. And so, um, you know, you're standing in this club where all this crazy stuff is going on, but you can find yourself in just a conversation with one person, and it's just you guys. And, um, you know, I'd ask them, like, like, what can I pray for you about or what's going on in your life? How are you doing? And I'm going to tell you everything. And then, I mean, I've, with several women, I've just prayed with them right there. So um, it seems just super weird and super mm-hmm. uncomfortable. But the thing about it is, like, I know that Satan is just so ticked off at me right now. And, mm-hmm. and so mad at all those women who were doing that every week. And through that, it, you know, it's because God is, wants to do these great things and show the love of Christ to these women. Mm-hmm. And it's it feels so hard to do, and he likes it like that. You know, Satan likes it like that.
0: So, so, so at Scarlet Hope, what are some of the success stories that they've seen? I mean, how have they oh really gosh. made a difference? Give us just an yeah, example. Yeah,
1: so over, um, you know, it's been like four years or something that's been going on, and um, there have been maybe... 200 women who have given their life to Christ, who they've worked their way out of the clubs, but maybe that's taken a year or so, even after giving their life to Christ, like getting out of the pit. And they've helped them to create resumes that are skills-based. Some of these women have been in in the club dancing for 20 years, have never done any other job than that. And then you want to get a different job. It is possible, and they but they help them to create these like skills based resumes and go through all of these kind of like rehab programs to be off of drugs and um, just be their friend alongside of them the whole way. But her ministry, Scarlet Hope, it now just this past fall they launched like a housing program too. So in their huge house that was donated to them, they house women, and then those are ones they can really help you know day to day. So, um, there, I mean, it's, it's twofold, but it's certainly helping them have a more life-giving existence. Mm-hmm. But, number one, it's just helping them to know who Jesus is, and that's it. There are no ulterior motives. It's not, a, and that's something that they're that very, very clear about, is we're not here to get women out of the club. We are here to show them Jesus and then... They ultimately will, mm-hmm. but it's not a judgment thing. It's just right.
0: So what love. we're talking about, it's not so much you're making a point. You're there just to make a difference and to love them and accept them for where they're at, mm-hmm. and just try to help them. So talk a little bit about your plan for Bloomingtons. God's laid that on your heart. So like, what are you hoping over the next couple of months to yeah. to do, and what does that look like? Yeah. So um, ultimately, we
1: want to go into places here in Bloomington. Um, right now, though, there's like a team of seven women who we pray together every week um, at 6.15 on Thursday nights. And um, during that time, we're just asking God to tell us when to move and where to move to. We have no idea, honestly, if we're going to do exactly what um, Scarlet Hope does, but something like that, probably. Um, that's the idea. And um, But we are totally open to god just telling us what what to do and how to minister here in bloomington because it is different than louisville so
0: we're trying to just hear and respond that's Mm -hmm. one thing we talk about here at exodus just listen Mm -hmm. to god ask god and listen to what he says and then respond Mm -hmm. and then what if people here wanted to be a part of this with you how would they do that
1: yeah so you could come talk to me um time I can stay up here today if you want to talk, but um, ultimately, like you could come on Thursday nights to pray for us, to pray with us for the, um, the women who are involved in this now or for the owners involved in this now, and it's simply just prayer um, for like an hour each week. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it's just the idea of telling these people, though, somehow asking the owners of the clubs. And showing this crazy kind of love that you're talking about of, like, we are here because God has sent us to do something kind and loving for these women. Mm-hmm. And just to put it in those terms rather than right. some kind of Which judgment. is
0: totally unexpected from them because yeah. they, they're used to people wanting something from them in return, yeah. right? They're yeah. not used to people just being nice to them or loving them and not wanting anything back. Yeah. Right, exactly. Let me do this. I want to pray for you. Okay, and uh, so let's bow our heads and would you just reach out a hand towards April and and let's just say a prayer. Father, um, I just lift April up and I thank you for her passion and her leadership. And with what you've laid on her heart, uh, this ministry opportunity, I just pray that you would um, do wonderful things through her and the other ladies that are a part of it. Father, show them what you want them to do, and then give them the courage to follow you, and uh, know that um, there's people here in Bloomington, there's women in Bloomington that you want to reach, and that you want to know your... Just crazy, ridiculous, unexplainable love, and uh, Father, may you use April and um, several of her friends just to be the conduit for that, Father, we just pray for that, and um, we believe that you do miraculous things, that you do big things that if you 're a God that 's able to do all the things that that we 've seen in our own life, you are able to uh, help a group of ladies make friends with um, women who are strippers and find um, uh, owners of clubs that would be willing to allow them to just to do that. And I, we just pray for that, and we pray um, in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, April. Appreciate it. So we're going to move into a time of response now, and we do that in three different ways. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and if you uh, come here to Exodus normally, you know how we do that. If We're going to have people up here at the front, and whenever you're ready, Jeremy's going to be singing. You come up, and you uh, just take the the bread and uh, dip it in the juice, and you can take it with you then, or go back to your seat. At the same time, we'll have people in the prayer room. The prayer room today is to your left, to my right, back where the nursery normally is. We've, we've moved it on you, so so, um, if you're at a point where you want someone to pray for you you can go back there and then uh, following communion we'll be passing the green buckets for offering as a way to give back to God but before we do that I have three questions I want to leave with you three questions of application to consider okay and here's the first one how are you like the Pharisees in the story Is there a part of you that that is like them, that's condemning of other people, that that has certain things that you stand for and want to make a point and want to make sure this is like that, and everyone knows that this is the way it's supposed to be? How are you like the Pharisees? Because when I look deep inside of me, I see a lot of Pharisee in the way that I think. Second question, how are you like the woman in the story? Maybe you've come today and you're just at the point where you need to see God's love. You need to be shown God's love. You, you need to know and experience God's love. And if that's where you are, we would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. People in the prayer room today would love to talk with you and help you know what that means, what that looks like, what's the first step, how do I do it. Maybe that's the decision that God's laid on your heart today. Third question to consider is how can you be more like Jesus? How can you in your life, maybe it's it's deciding to help April. Maybe it's something God's laid on your heart. Maybe you're driving down the road and God say, you know what, you need to do this. Or maybe it's the people that you work with. Maybe it's in your own family. Maybe it's a, someone that lives in your neighborhood. How does your Heavenly Father want you to be more like Jesus in that story and be more life-giving and make a difference in people's life instead of taking the easier route and just showing them to make, how to make a point. So let me pray. And then what we're going to do is before we take communion. We've got a video that I want you to watch, and following the end of that video, we're going to take communion together. Let's pray. Hey, God, again, thank you for moving in our lives. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Now, as we respond, uh, we do so knowing that we serve an amazing God who loves us and is full of grace and mercy. In Christ's name, amen.